Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, April 10th, 2017. Hope you're sitting down. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Crazy program. Owen Driscoll's back. Literally just spewing lies in a false narrative. Wow. This is going to be one of those programs. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, 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 stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there by the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, YouTube prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula supposedly we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. I wish I was making that up, but that's generally how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet that uh, evangelicals are feasting on when it comes to their teaching and their doctrine is not actually sound. It's not really what the Bible teaches, which is really dangerous. And uh, as a result of this, I mean, this is the something, well, the kind of thing that can really shipwreck your faith, and Scripture speaks of false teaching this way. So uh, what we try to do here is to educate you. We are politically incorrect. That means we name names. Yes, we do. We name names. And we play sound bites. And we try to have a little fun along the way, which really kind of <laughs> gets a few people upset. But... The idea here is is that this is a teaching work designed to help equip you to, first and foremost, know what God's Word says. Learn how to look for those who are twisting God's Word and doing strange things with it so that you don't fall prey to them. Yeah, that's right. So that you can protect yourself, protect your loved ones, protect your friends, you know, people like that, and uh, and also learn what the, the Bible really says, because let me tell you, what the Bible really teaches is so much better than uh, what some, you know, what all these popular people are putting out there. It, it really is. 
And so, yeah, that's what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. And if you're new to the program, I have to warn you, <laughs> you know, oftentimes the first responses that you get from listening to Fighting for the Faith is anger. We, Yeah, we know. We, we get it, and and that's okay. That's quite all right. If you want to be angry with me, I, I'm okay with that. Here's our challenge. Never listen to me with an open mind. I don't need that. No. Always listen with an open Bible. If I've said something that has really just sent you through the roof and you're thinking, how dare he say that against my favorite so-and-so teacher or whatever. Yeah, I, I understand. I get it. I get it. I get it. But do the comparative work. Mm-hmm. Open up the scriptures and test to see if what I'm telling you is true. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's all I got to say. You'll see You'll see after that. You'll start to get it after that is the best way I can put it. And it takes a little more than a month to get used to this program. It is an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. You think you had a hard time learning how to drink coffee? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a lot more difficult (laughs) learning how to listen to this program. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I mentioned the fact that that, uh, Mark Driscoll is back. We're going to get to that the last part of the first hour. It'll probably be a little bit of a longer hour today. Yeah, I, I, I go for Fighting for the Faith hours, and they're not a perfect 60 minutes. That's the best way I can put it. (laughs) There, <laughs> the first hour of the program goes until I'm done. That's the best way to put it. Anyway, so uh, we're going to check in first with uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the pro- co-prophet of the end times. And uh, a while back, I made the claim that, you know, William Tapley needs to figure out how to, you know, like when news is breaking, you know, get on one of these major news networks, maybe Fox or CNN or MSNBC or something like that, so that he can provide the prophetic angle to the top headlines. Now, since he's not on any of the major networks, the next best thing is, you know, YouTube. And uh, (laughs) so i got to say this, William Tapley was Johnny on the spot uh, when the, uh, the Tomahawk missile attack was launched against Syria in retaliation for you know, the sarin nerve gas thing that's going on. Now, listen, I I need to make this clear, is that uh, for the most part, really, fighting for the faith doesn't do politics. Um, What we try to do is give you biblical teaching. It will impact your politics, but whether you're for or against the, uh, the the, the missile attack against Syria, that's really not the point of this segment. The point of this segment is, is William Tapley was Johnny on the spot to give us, apparently, a biblical basis for seeing this (laughs) missile attack as the will of God. In fact, as the prophetic will of God. So uh, that will start us off today. Then we're going to do a new Apostolic Reformation twin spin. We're going to begin with the Apostle Rick Joyner as he regales us (laughs) with a story of how he made a trip. He he engaged in heavenly tourism. And uh, yeah, that's right. He's been to heaven. And while he was there, it, it, if I'm remembering the details correctly, 
um, he was having a conversation with one of God's holy angels, and the, and the angel was asking him if he knew how he got there or why he was there, and went on to explain to him that it was because he used a particular key mm-hmm, to in, enable in, that enabled him to travel and do some heavenly tourism. So, I mean, if you're thinking, you know, I you know I can't afford a good summer vacation this year. Yeah, I know. I I, I feel you. I feel your pain on that. Um, and so you're thinking maybe you're going to have one of those staycations. Yeah, people do that too. I mean, I I've done that many times. Um, so if you're going to have a staycation this year, have you considered applying the keys to heavenly tourism? So maybe as part of your staycation, you know, you can travel to heaven and then, you know, and then maybe write a book about it. You know, I mean, those are very profitable, you know, so we're going to listen to Rick Joyner tell us that. And then we're going to hear from a fellow I don't think we've ever reviewed. Uh, we're going to head over to the Apostolic Center for Freedom as we listen to Kent Maddox um, teach us the preparation for the Passover. <laughs> and from the word go, I mean, it's just a hot mess of nonsense, a total load of Shemitah, if you would. And uh, then to end up the first hour of the program, we're going to check in with Mark Driscoll, who uh, last Thursday appeared on the Life Today television program. It, this one was hosted not by James Robeson, but by his son and Sheila Walsh. And Mark Driscoll um, made an appearance, and they were talking to him about, you know, hey, you know, how come we haven't seen you in a while? And, uh, whoa, what happened to Mars Hill? And the answer that um, Driscoll gives, he full-on plays the victim card. Uh Yeah, I mean, he's up there now with Job, apparently. He plays the victim card, and he spins a completely fabricated false narrative as to what happened to Mars Hill. Wait till you hear it. It's um, it's mind-bogglingly bad. And I'm literally at the point now where I am beginning to believe that Mark Driscoll suffers from a bona fide mental illness. Um, whether it's, you know, he's sociopathic, I'm not sure, or if it's a narcissistic personality disorder, um, and, or in the spectrum of that type of disorder. But I'm beginning to really think this guy has something going on in his brain of this magnitude. And the reason why is because he is capable of literally lying through his teeth with no conscience. And he threw all of the elders and uh, of uh, Mars Hill, the previous elders, literally back under the Mars Hill bus and it, literally blamed them for the the collapse of Mars Hill it it was just again mind-bogglingly bad and uh, and then in hour number 2 we're going to hear another one of these sermons uh from uh Church of the Highlands this time by one of their campus pastors Chris Irwin as he explains to us what Jesus was trying to teach us when he said I thirst remember he's on the cross he's literally you know, seconds away from dying and Jesus says, I thirst. And what was that about? Well, Chris Irwin of uh, Church of the Highlands literally thinks that Jesus was trying to, you know, help us understand that that if you're having a bad day like he was having a bad day, 
that we need to be human enough to acknowledge our limitations and our needs and ask for help. That's what Jesus was apparently trying to teach us there. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to cover. By the way, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. If you've never listened to Fighting for the Faith while wearing fuzzy bunny slippers, listen, I... I got to tell you, they're really comfy, unless it's super hot in your in your house or something like that. But, you know, they really do enhance the listener experience. So I just wanted to make sure you understood that. So uh, since we're going to begin with something that's like way out there, and some of you, this could cause your brain to explode, I think we better play one of our standard warnings before we get started. So let's do this. Warning. The Fighting for the Faith radio broadcast contains spiritually volatile content. This material is not suitable or recommended for those with itching ears or those dependent upon subjective emotional experiences. Fighting for the Faith is not responsible for feelings of disillusionment or disappointment with your man-centered, seeker-sensitive church. We are unable to compensate listeners for time wasted listening to their pastor's narcissistical sermons or serving in their church's redundant, ineffective ministries. Listen at your own risk. If after listening to Fighting for the Faith, you experience a genuine gospel awakening lasting more than five hours, seek the help of a qualified, faithful Bible-teaching pastor. Always take Fighting for the Faith with an open, English-sanctified version Bible. Results will vary. Use as needed. Some discernment required. All right, you've been warned. Here we go. If you know the words, sing along. Doom and gloom, coming soon. Listen to Thirty Eagles tune, doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right, so as you are aware, I'm pretty much convinced that everybody everywhere across the globe is familiar with the fact that Will, that uh, Donald J. Trump ordered a tomahawk missile attack against Syria. Now, whether you for it or against it, that's kind of not the point. <laughs> if you be against it, well, well, I would have you know that William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times, well, he he was Johnny on the spot to give us the prophetic insight regarding this missile attack and to assure us that all of this was actually foretold in the, in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Here's William Tapley to explain. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. Well, I don't usually do breaking news, but here's the headline that just came across the Drudge Report tonight, and you can see that for yourself. Trump launches 50-plus missiles aimed at Syria. And a lot of my subscribers are very worried. And there's a lot of other henny pennies who are saying that he is going to start World War III. No, he isn't. Donald Trump is fulfilling Bible prophecy. Oh, well, I feel better already. Oh, man, the world's a safer place. Thank you, William Tapley. This was all foretold in biblical prophecy. Wow, okay. 
as I have been predicting on here for more than two months now. What he is doing in Syria is prophesied in Isaiah and Micah. Really? Wow. All these Bible scholars for centuries and millennia totally missed that. Please help us understand William Tapley. You've been watching my programs. You know that already. And you should go to my website and download the prophecies from Isaiah chapter 45 and Micah chapter 5. So let me read these specific verses. And this is Isaiah chapter 1, chapter 45, verse number 1. Thus says the Lord to my anointed Cyrus. Cyrus is Donald Trump. Whose right hand I have... No, it's not. Cyrus was Cyrus. <laughs> Taken hold of. God is directing this operation of Donald Trump. To subdue nations. Did you hear that, people? To subdue nations. He is fulfilling God's promise way back in Isaiah 2,700 years ago. Whose right hand I have taken hold of to subdue nations before his face and to turn the backs of kings and to open the doors before him and the gates shall not be shut. That's pretty obvious prophecy. Let's look at verse number two. No, it's it's not obvious. Trump isn't Cyrus. Trump is Trump. Cyrus was Cyrus. I will go before him and will humble the great ones of the earth. This is what Donald Trump is doing. He's not starting World War III. He's letting the great ones of the earth know they had better listen to what he says because his right hand is guided by Almighty God. Right. So, yeah, whatever you do, don't cross Trump, because, you know, he's got Almighty God's right hand there, you know. I will break in pieces. Listen to this. The gates of brass, and I will burst the bars of iron. And now let's look at Micah, chapter 5, verse number 6. Listen to this, people. All right. And they shall feed the land of Assyria with the sword. I don't think Drudge Headsline can be many can be much more accurate than that fulfillment of Micah and Isaiah. So people don't panic. Almighty God is in charge. His right hand man is leading the charge against the forces of evil. Settle down, people. This is all prophesied. And if you've been following my channel, you should not be surprised. Thank you for watching. So there you go. The third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times has spoken. All of you people worried that we're about ready to embark on World War III. You, you need to settle down. Settle down. This was all foretold and prophecy in the Old Testament, so you just need to get on board and understand that Trump is doing all of this by the hand of Almighty God. Wow. Okay. Moving along. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? 
The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. We'll take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. The Twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousey worth, they'll overthrow the earth. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. All right, so we're heading over to Morningstar University and the Facebook page of the Apostle Rick Joyner as he explains to the people at the Morningstar University College of Leadership the keys to heavenly tourism. Yeah, that's because, you know, he ate a bad burrito and blammo, that's a real word, I saw it on Batman once, Blamo, he went to heaven, and an angel explained to him how, what were the keys for him to get there. So, if you're thinking staycation this year, maybe you can throw in a little bit of, um, you know, time up in heaven. Just need, all you need to do is apply the keys. Here's uh, Rick Joyner to explain. Physically sick. I thought I had Ebola plus the bird flu. <laughs> By the way, the video on his. Facebook has this music playing in the background. So I didn't add it. It's on his Facebook page. I, you can't, I can't even describe. I'd never felt that bad before. I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed or anything. All right. It, so he had the Ebola virus and the bird flu together. Mm-hmm. No, notice he's sick. He's really, really sick. I just want to note this. There have been times when I have been really ill, and when I was really ill, whoa. <laughs> I mean, strange, bizarre dreams, especially when I'm running a fever or something like that. <laughs> I've had some zingers as far as, uh, as you know, like brain fever <laughs> dreams are concerned. So when you're really sick, so he uh, notice the story begins – He's suffering from both Ebola and the bird flu. I mean, so he's an Ebola bird flu survivor. Um, that, um, wow, he's, um, yeah, so what's going to come next probably is the result of his fever. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know. Every day uh, there are a couple of things, you know, a few things that Scripture says brings pleasure to the Lord. And uh, every day I try to do these things. And I remember struggling. I couldn't even think straight, but I'm trying as hard as I could to do these things that it says brings pleasure to the Lord. <laughs> I just can't, I say I can't can't do any better than that. That's the best I could do today. And the next day I felt much better. And the, the day after that I felt good enough to go to our place up in Moravian Falls, where we had a uh, I was doing a writer's seminar, and I laid down to go to sleep. When I got there, and I went straight to heaven, and I had an eight-hour Earth time experience in heaven. Well, there you go. Eight hours. I mean, 
and I'm sure eight hours of Earth time in heaven, that's probably at least several weeks or so up in in eternity because, yeah, <clears throat> right. All right. I still think that his illness is in play here. It was the greatest. I've been, I've had experiences when I was caught up to heaven a number of times. And every time I'm in a different place. I tell you, heaven is so unbelievably diverse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. It's weird. The Apostle Paul, who actually did go to heaven, the third heaven, he said that he saw things that uh, he was not permitted to speak of. There are more species in heaven than there are species upon the earth. More spiritual species. You get a taste of it as you read the scriptures. And What's a spiritual species? Different beings and everything that there are. Angels are just one little group in heaven. They're the messengers. But uh, there are all kinds of... But heaven is... Uh, I mean, every time it's been a different place, it's been a, just a mind-boggling, wonderful place. You can't imagine. I don't think our minds can even go there to imagine things like really are heavenly. Right. I mean, I, I've never been, you know, ugh, what am I supposed to do here? I mean, I've, I've never been to heaven. I've never had coffee with Jesus. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of in the long train of... Those average, ordinary Christians, you know, who, yeah, hear the voice of God in the Bible. Yeah, you know, when I read the text, God is speaking with the words that are actually written in the text to me. Yeah, and I, I've never, never been to heaven, never had coffee. With, it's just, and but, you know, hey, you know, Rick Joyner, he's an apostle, man. So, you know, after he gets sick, you know, he gets to go to heaven and do things like that. And in here, I mean, he sounds like he's trying to convince people they need to go too, you know. Really are there, and that's what Paul said. But uh, this was the best part of heaven I'd been in yet. It was way better than any I had experienced before. And... Uh, at the end of this experience, the Lord said, did you know, do you know how you got here? All right. So th this is the important part. I mean, do you know how you got here? Well, no. I mean, how did he get there? So listen carefully to what it is that the Lord said to him. I said, really? I don't. As always, I went to sleep and I'm here. He said, no, you use the key to eternal joy. Right. Yeah. What level of Zelda do you find that on? I said, I did? I didn't even know what it was. He said, yes, you used the key to eternal joy, and that's how... I think you earned that after the third boss level on Zelda. I think so. Yeah. I said, Lord... Or maybe it's Kingdom Hearts. I, I'm, I'm confusing the two. My apologies. It was that key. And he said, when you decided as bad as you felt yeah you were going to give yourself to bring in the lord joy to doing those things that bring him joy you use the key to eternal joy because it's the joy of the lord not your joy that is your strength he said and is when you give yourself to bring in the lord pleasure to bring in the lord joy you start using the key to eternal joy. 
Right. So there you go. I mean, if you're thinking, you know, staycation this year, t- budget's a little tight. Um, and, you know, maybe you can throw in a little bit of time up in heaven. It's real simple. You, first, you need to um, eat something that will cause you to have food poisoning. Um, and while you're suffering from food poisoning, strive to do things that will bring God joy. And then you'll unlock the um, the key of eternal joy, which will then make it so that you can go to heaven. That seems fair enough. I mean, so, you know, choose carefully what it is that you want to eat that will cause you to uh, feel deathly ill. But uh, but while you're in the midst of throwing up and things like that, um, make sure that's where you conscientiously do things that will bring God joy. And, wow, you'll just unlock the uh, the eternal kingdom and you'll, you'll be able to go up to heaven too. That's some practical stuff right there. You don't just find that anywhere. All right, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at fire Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to hear from a fellow we've never heard from, Kent Maddox, as well as Mark Driscoll. Stay tuned, don't want to miss him. We will be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. I do wish these planes would give us passengers more leg room. Oh. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, what in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full, upright, and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be swiftly thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. Ah, 
Something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like? Ooh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that these self-appointed prophets, co-prophets, vision-casting leaders, and apostles and such are actually a taco short of a combo play. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can support us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, we have two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. There's four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. After that, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the donate button 
Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And just a reminder, registration is open for our two conferences this year. Uh, uh, One is in Sydney, Australia, uh, the last day of June, first day of July. Details on the website. And then also we have our uh, conference second weekend of August up at uh, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. That's right. If you've never seen Flat Earth, man, I'm telling you, it doesn't get any flatter than Oslo, Minnesota. But we're going to have a great conference out there. All of the details, travel information, registration, costs, things like that, are all available on the website. Go to fightingforthefaith.com, click on the conferences link, and you'll see the option for selecting either of the two conferences. These are a great opportunity for you to come out. Uh, good teaching, by the way, on you know at our conferences, but also to kind of hang out with our different speakers, ask questions, get to know some of the other people in the audience. Yeah, our, our fighting for the faith audience. It's you know the the people who come to the conferences. We're like family, and so we we can always use some more family members. Come and visit, and of course register soon because uh, space is limited. That's the best way I can put it. All right, let's reset here. Uh, we're still under the new apostolic reformation. Uh, update. Let's do this to kind of set up for what we're going to next. So I was having this wedding, and and we had we well we didn't have we shaba shaba shanda yeah 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 shaba oh shaba shaba. All right, so we're going to be hearing somebody we've never reviewed before. Um, At least I don't think so. Kent Maddox. And uh, he is with the Apostolic Center for Freedom. Freedom! And uh, so we're going to be listening to him as he explains to us, you know, what it is, you know, that we should be doing in preparation for the Passover, which is weird because, you know, you think about the, you know, why is it that Christians historically have not celebrated the Passover? And it's not because, oh, man, that evil Roman Catholicism, it banned and got rid of the Passover celebration in Christianity, and it, it's the result of the evil Constantine. And no, no, that's not it at all. That, you know, yeah, you listen to some of the people in the Hebrew Roots movement. They have some very fascinating, bizarre, false narratives um, in that regard. And, but Scripture is really clear on this. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, I'll start at verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, or drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the feasts, including the Sabbath and things like that, those were all type and shadow. 
they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You can kind of think of it this way. The Passover, which was always pointing to Jesus, has now been rolled up into the Lord's Supper. Yeah, do your Christian theology and doctrine uh, from Scripture, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But uh, we're heading over to, like I said, the Apostolic Center for Freedom! And uh, listen to Kent Maddox as he tries to explain to us the important ways in which we need to prepare for the Passover. Here we go opportunity a divine moment and it comes annually but also we believe there's something even bigger than that happening right now in the earth i talked to you some about last week just these opportunities it seems that god is really moving supernaturally i made you aware last week that god is giving us opportunities and moving supernaturally clearly kent maddox is getting his theology from the word of faith tbn heretics you know maybe like benny hinn Steve Muncie, mm-hmm. uh, throw into the mix there, you know, maybe Rod Parsley, uh-huh. Larry and Tiz, yeah, who makes the yummy sound, Huck, um, even Paula White. But this is not actually biblical. You'll note here as we listen to him, there seems to be a supreme lack of biblical texts actually exegeted in this concept of talking about preparation for the Passover, you know, sports and athletics and politics. There's, uh, Things that are happening that's never happened before. Uh, it's, it's worth watching. If you didn't get to see it, I talked to you about the about the Cubs who hadn't won a series in 108 years, and the Cavaliers who come behind first time ever in the NBA to, for it to happen that way and win. To the Patriots who come behind from 21 to zero, never happened before in history. Happen- you mean that because the Cubs won the World Series last year, that that means that there's I mean, this is divine shaking kind of stuff going on the Cavaliers, you know, and the Patriots. And, whoa, man, sports is telling us that there's some kind of divine opportunity that, oh, we, we got to get in on, you know. To uh, Trump winning uh, no plausible path. Uh... Even Trump's victory shows us that this Passover, wow, some amazing things are happening. To, to victory, and he wins an election to the uh, uh, Brit, Brit, the British friends of ours, England, coming out of the EU. The, the Brexit, yeah, man, this has proven that, man. Just it was it was supposed not to happen, but it happened, and on and on and on. There's something happening in the earth. Jesus said, "You know, something. We don't know what the something is, but it's a something, something. You know." How to tell when it's going, the weather's going to change, but you don't understand spiritual seasons. He wants you to wake up and be alert. We're in a moment. Wake up, folks. We're in a moment here. (laughs) I'm awake. I'm awake. I don't want to miss the moment. What's going on? (laughs) I have no idea, but okay. Look at me. Really, really. Just listen. We're in a moment. Right. Yeah. And see, what we don't realize is our lives are made of moments. Well, indeed it is. Wow. I don't know. I was going along in life, chronos time, if you will, and, and sin and destruction was just taking me somewhere. Right. That all happens in chronos time, but you need that Kairos momenty thingy to come, you know, because the Cubs won, man. That, that, yeah, that, that'll take you right out of your sin. It was taking me somewhere I didn't want to go, and it was going to keep me longer than I wanted to stay. And it was going to. This guy is a parrot. 
He is literally parroting. P-A-R-R-O-T-I-N-G. Yeah, he's parroting um, false teachers here. Uh-huh. Cost me more than I wanted to pay. But in a moment, somebody say a moment. In a moment, God intervened and snatched me out of that and put me on a different path. Wow. All because the Cubs won the World Series? Really? It's a moment. Well, yeah, it is. I'm sure, yeah. There was a moment where I stepped into another realm and got filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues and realized there's a whole different realm to live. Yeah, you're describing the false doctrine regarding the so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's not how that works. And this, But it is a moment. Some of our marriages were saved in a moment. Some of us lost some demons in a moment. We just got up in a place of worship. We were all bound up by fear and insecurity. And all of a sudden, the presence of God came. And in a moment, things changed and I got set free. Yeah, especially if you clap your hands. Those, you know, the, the moments will, yeah, those happen pretty quick. And our lives are made of these moments. But what's important is that you prepare for the moment. You can't make the moment happen. But you can prepare and ready yourself for the moment. That's really what I'm trying to communicate to you today. And so when, when somebody comes along telling you, hey, a moment's here, then you should wake up and be alert and say, I don't want to miss this moment. So, t- Right. I, I'm fully awake here right now. I'm, in fact, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee during the break. You know, because because I don't, I don't want to miss this moment. I I am afraid though that you know having coffee this late might end up keeping me up late at night. I'm just thinking, you know. Three or four more people say, "Don't miss this moment." Tell them, "Don't miss this moment." I I I'm awake, dude. I I'm not gonna miss it, man. You got everybody here worked up over what exactly here? Which biblical text are you exegeting again? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. I heard this week as I was doing some studying that the ships, when they would go into a harbor in the olden days, of course, they didn't have engines, they had sails, and they would get ready to go into a harbor, and they had to wait for the tide to rise to get them into the harbor because the harbors were shallow. So they'd have to wait for the tide to rise to get them safely into the harbor. So they would sit out and wait for a moment. And when they would begin to understand that the moment was coming, the tide... There's a word, a Latin word, opportu. And they would begin to shout opportu, opportu, because there was about a hundred different things on these sailing boats that had to be accomplished to get ready for the tide. And that word opportu is where we get the word opportunity. And it's interesting, isn't it, that they would be sitting there and they, some had been gone for a month, even year out at sea, and now they can see their homes. But they can't get there. No, well, yeah, that's awkward. Yeah, it's just terrible. I mean, they have to wait for the opportunity to get home. Yeah, the tide yeah. rises and takes him. And so what am I trying to say to you? I have no idea what you're trying to say. <laughs> Which biblical text again are you working your way through? You can see your promise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what promise am I looking at again? You can read in the word and, and, and grab hold of your promise, but we know... I can read in the word and grab hold of my promise. Do I grab it by the tail? By the toe? 
Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a promise by the toe. <laughs> How do I grab my promise? These promises aren't natural. They're supernatural. There's no way to get there unless it's supernaturally given to us. Right. Yeah. I mean, who let this guy out of the asylum? But what happens is these moments, our, our human hearts merge with the sovereignty of God. And really? Wow, I had no idea. Um, so our human hearts are going to be merging with the sovereignty of God. Yeah. The sovereignty of God is an abstract attribute of God, and we're supposed to merge our human hearts with that. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Our prepared hearts meet the sovereignty of God in a moment. Right. And when that happens, it's just like a ship who has got the sails ready. So when the tide rises, they make it to their destination. You're not the power, but you can set the sail. Well, that sounds like a bunch of nautical nonsense. Good gravy. I mean, what on earth was that? Yeah, again, I, I just think that was a litany of utter crazy nonsense. And everyone there is licking it up like, oh, this is the best thing ever. It doesn't mean anything. It's not even lucid. It might not even be sane. All right. Hope you're sitting down. It's time to check in with Mark Driscoll. So let's do this. We don't feed no sheep, so get busy and amuse those goats. Don't be lazy, you here to satisfy the leader's God-given vision supreme. If you dare to question him, well, there'd certainly be a scene. Look out. Another one's off the bus. Another one's off the bus. And another one's off, and another one's off. Another one's off the bus. Hey, he's gonna get you too. Another one's off the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. There's a few kind of people. There's people who get in the way of the bus. they got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus. they got to get thrown off because <laughs> they want to go somewhere else. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> 
by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. Ministry Records. Another one's off the bus. Yeah, if I can remind you, years and years and years ago, we were the ones who broke the story and played the um, soundbite of Mark Driscoll bragging about the pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. Now, let me just refresh your memory. Yeah, we're going to refresh your memory here uh, by way of, you know, if I were to ask you, you know, in your own words, could you summarize for us what were the mitigating circumstances that led to the fall of Mark Driscoll, his resignation from Mars Hill, and also what role, if any, uh, maybe his plagiarism, multiple books, uh, the plagiarized material in all of his books, yeah, many, many, many of his books, and also his buying his way on the New York Times bestseller list may have had to play in um, in Mark Driscoll's fall, if you would. And then I would remind you, um, here is audio from uh, Mars Hill campus pastor A.J. Hamilton. He was one of the campus pastors at the time. On the day of Mark Driscoll's um, resignation, in October of 2014. Listen to this announcement. See if this sounds any bit familiar to you here. I want to start today by acknowledging and, and maybe informing some of you for the first time that on Tuesday, October 14th, Pastor Mark Driscoll submitted his resignation as an elder and lead pastor of Marshall Church to our, our board of overseers, and they, they accepted that Resignation. And so the statement that I'm going to read to you comes from the Board of Overseers and the Board of Elders. The investigation of formal charges against Mark Driscoll revealed patterns of persistent sin in three areas previously disclosed. First Timothy 5.20 requires an elder to be rebuked for persistent sin. Our intention was to do this while providing a plan for restoration to leadership. We, in agreement with the Board of Overseers, are grieved that any process like this was canceled by Mark's resignation. Now is the time to move forward and consider what God uh, is calling us to next as we participate in Jesus' mission to make disciples in his name. Today marks a new chapter for us as a church. We get to move forward together with an acknowledgement that we are a broken church, desperately in need of repentance confession of that sin, restoration, and then for forgiveness as well from, from you, the people that we have led. Uh, we know that there are many areas in this church that we need to grow in as leaders. Areas like being domineering, arrogant, and boastful. 
Um, these things are not just attitudes. These things are not just personality traits. These are things that Scripture labels as sin. These are sins that Jesus died for and has cleansed us of. But we need to walk in that understanding and, and live in a loving way. And that's what we commit to you. We know that we have a lot of growth ahead of us. We need a lot of grace, not just from the Lord on us as a church, but also from you, the people. All right. So according to A.J. Hamilton at the time... Driscoll was arrogant and abusive and domineering, and they literally were going to discipline him and then with the goal of ultimately restoring him to ministry. Remember back in 2014, Mark Driscoll was removed and Mars Hill Church was removed from the roles of Acts 29. Uh huh. And with cause, with cause, there was a cause for that. So, you know, I just, if you think back to it, I mean, plagiarism, major, major plagiarism, his buying his way onto the New York Times bestseller list, his domineering arrogance and his debt pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. Does any of this sound familiar to you? It should. Now, with you having your memory jogged and you're thinking, yeah, I seem to remember what the uh, reason why uh, Mark Driscoll um, ended up leaving Mars Hill. Now, we noted that at the Hillsong Conference the following year, uh, Mark Driscoll claimed that God was the one who released him and that the, the whole plan by the elders there was a trap, he said. But uh, we go to last week's uh, program of the Life Today television uh, program put on by the Robeson family as we listen to Sheila Walsh and uh, James Robeson's son interviewing Mark Driscoll. And they're going to question him about you know where he's been and what he's been up to and what exactly caused Morris Hill to fail and see if the narrative that he gives even remotely squares with what you know to be the facts regarding this. Here we go. We're excited about the show today. We have a wonderful guest, a gentleman I've enjoyed for years listening to, teaching his books. He's got a lot of great stuff out there. Mark Driscoll is with us. Mark, welcome yeah. to Life Today. Thanks Thanks you. And you know, man... You've, you've been, you know, a little hidden here for a while. Where are you Yeah, been? I've been in the witness to? protection program <laughs> and uh, just hanging out with the family. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Where, where do you want me to start? You, want me to you just... start wherever you want to because, I mean, you know, people, some people don't know you. Some people yeah. know where you were, where, but don't necessarily know where yeah, you've been. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Seattle. My dad was a union drywaller, oldest of five kids, didn't know Jesus. Um, in high school at 17, met a really sweet, adorable gal, pastor's daughter, uh -oh. gave me a Bible. Oh, good. Uh, 19, got saved reading that Bible. Mm. 21, married that girl. My rule is always a gal buys you a Bible, buy her a ring, call it a deal. So I married her at 21. <laughs> it's what one does, That's people. What one it's does. what one does. At 22, we graduated. 25, we started a Bible study trying to reach primarily young, college-educated singles in what was at the time uh, among the nation's least church cities. And the early years, we were broke, and we didn't have kids, and, you know, I was working a job and didn't think it would amount to anything. 
eventually, in God's grace, God did some remarkable things through some wonderful people. We saw about 10,000 people baptized. Wow. We saw the church grow to 15,000 on a typical Sunday. We saw 15 locations in five states. Uh, just kind of superseded all expectations. And this is Pacific Northwest. This, this is not Bible Belt. No, this is this is urban, single, um, young adult, uh, you know, all kinds of sexual issues, confusion, <laughs> abuse. I mean, baggage and carry-ons. I mean, so lots <laughs> of stuff going on, you know? Yeah. And uh, we, had, we had a governance war at the church that went eight years behind the scenes over who's in charge and how things play out. And so... At the end, we had 67 elders in 15 locations in five states, a large percentage of whom I had never met. And they wanted to have independent local churches, and we were one large church in many locations. So there was an eight-year battle mm. that finally went public the last year and was very painful for everyone involved, especially... Uh-huh. A, an eight-year-long behind-the-scenes governance battle. Yeah, it was all those evil elders that he had never met, you know, of all the different multi-site campi who were jockeying for eight years behind the scenes to take over the church and to have their, you know, to have each of the independent Mars Hill multi-sites be independent, you know, kind of thing. Notice, never mentioned once anything about throwing people under the bus you know, none of that stuff. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely fascinating. And what he's effectively done here is throw everybody back under the bus. It's their fault. He's a victim. Yeah, you know, there was an eight-year-long governance battle, and it was Mark Driscoll who, who who's, who's the total victim here. You know, he was just a guy who loves Jesus, and got a Bible from his girlfriend, you know, when he was in his early 20s. And, and you know, he was reaching people for Jesus. But, oh, oh those behind-the-scenes people, they were the ones. Uh-huh. Isn't that fascinating? A complete rewrite. Let me play this quote for you in context so that you can hear it for yourself regarding, um, you know, the two people who were thrown under the bus, the Mars Hill pile of dead bodies. Listen again. Here's what I've learned. You, you cast vision for your mission, and if people don't sign up, you move on. You move on. There are people that are going to die in the wilderness, and there are people that are going to take the hill. That's just how it is. Um... Too many guys waste too much time trying to move stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate people. Um, I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. And uh, I'm just a, I'm just a guy who is like, look, we love you, but this is what we're doing. There's a few kind of people. There's people who get in the way of the bus; they got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus; they got to get thrown off because <laughs> they want to go somewhere else. There are people who will uh, be on the bus, leaders and helpers and servants. They're awesome. There's also just sometimes nice people who sit on the bus and shut up. Um, 
they're not helping or hurting, just let them ride along. Um, you know what I'm saying? But don't look at the nice people that are just going to sit on the bus and shut their mouth and think, I need you to lead the mission. They're never going to. At the very most, you'll give them a job to do and they'll serve somewhere and help out in a minimal way. If someone can sit in a place that hasn't been on mission for a really long time, they are by definition not a leader, and so they're never going to lead. Uh, you need to gather a whole new core. I'll, I'll tell you guys what, too. You don't do this just when you're church planting or replanting. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. We just took certain guys and rearranged the seats on the bus. Yesterday, we fired two elders for the first time in the history of Mars Hill last night. They're off the bus, under the bus. Um, they were off mission, so now they're unemployed. I mean, you this will be the defining issue as to whether or not you succeed or fail. I've read enough of the New Testament to know that occasionally Paul puts somebody in the wood chipper. Yeah, so apparently Paul put people in the wood chipper and threw them under the bus and stuff. Wow. And what's really weird is over the years, while Mars Hill was imploding and scandal after scandal kept coming to light regarding Driscoll, you know, what really kind of set the whole powder keg off was Janet Mefford's conversation with Driscoll regarding his resurgence book, where she confronted him regarding his plagiarism. Never saw it coming, and boy, was he caught flat-footed. And that story had legs. And then came out that he totally bought his way onto the New York Times bestseller list with results source. Then you have the whole William Wallace II debacle. While all of this is going on, I was in conversation with several of Mars Hill's leadership team, present and past at the time. And these people were hardworking lovers of Jesus, for lack of a better way of putting it, who were sincerely trying to figure out how to make this all work. And some of them risked their jobs in confronting Mark Driscoll. In fact, um, I know of a fellow whose wife confronted Driscoll and was severely disciplined as a result of it. Her husband later was let go. It took some time, but I mean, the way I understand how that story went down, I mean, she, you know, the you know, the way she kind of told the story, and I've heard it publicly told now, the way she told the story, you know, her husband basically, who was in charge of like the young marrieds, basically said, I haven't done anything wrong. Why should I be the one to go? Uh-huh. And so here's Driscoll now, you know, several years after the fact. It's 2017. He's been in the Witness Protection Program for two and a half years, almost three years now. And so he emerges from the Witness Protection Program and plays the victim card and totally spins a false narrative where he takes no responsibility, none whatsoever for what happened and throws everybody under the bus and blames it on a conspiracy. They were out to get me. They they wanted to be independent, and we had a governance battle. And Yeah, no, talk to the leaders themselves. And so Sheila Walsh and, and Mr. Robeson, you have seriously done evil 
and hurt the people of Mars Hill. And by you giving this man a platform to literally spew a false narrative, you have hurt these people severely. And you owe them an apology and you owe them equal time on this television program to talk about what happened from their point of view and their experience. Because Mark Driscoll was far from telling the full story. And now this kind of goes back to an earlier comment that I made. And that is, is that I've seen this before in the corporate world. And, you know, although I do not have a license to practice counseling or psychology, I've seen this before from people who were diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. These are people who have a form of a mental illness. And I think that's what's really going on with Driscoll. And so all of that being said, I mean, this is absolutely egregious what he said. You need to be in prayer for Mark Driscoll. You need to be in prayer for him. Because I really believe that we are looking at the organic symptoms of a bona fide mental illness, which makes it impossible for him to actually come to grips with his own sin, his own culpability, and his own fault for all of the problems that were there at Mars Hill, and ultimately its financial collapse and implosion and ceasing to exist. It begins with his plagiarism. It, it, it goes with his arrogance, his abuse of the people on his own leadership team. And we're talking verbal abuse like you would not believe. The stories that I have heard from people who experienced it firsthand. I mean, it's unbelievable. To him being literally excommunicated from Acts 29, him buying his way under the New York Times bestseller list. The list goes on and on and on. And yet Driscoll now is the pastor of the Trinity Church out there in Arizona. And it's clear he has not repented. And when you talk to the people who were on leadership at Mars Hill, he has still not spoken with them owned his part of what happened and apologized and asked them to forgive him. So what's going to happen there in Arizona? I can tell you already what's happening right now in Arizona. There's a whole new leadership team, whole new leadership team that is already starting to experience the same problems that the leaders experienced in Seattle. Yep. They already are. Driscoll has not processed. Driscoll has not owned. Driscoll has not repented. Driscoll has a mental illness. That's just literally the facts. And as a result of this, he is absolutely already making the same mistakes and going to make the same mistakes and commit the same sins. The last place that Mark Driscoll needs to be is on Christian television, Christian radio, publishing a Christian book, anywhere in the public light 
you know, as a representative of Christianity, and most especially behind a pulpit in a church. The place that Mark Driscoll needs to be for his sake, for the sake of his wife, for the sake of his children, for the sake of reconciliation with those whom he has sinned against, the place that Mark Driscoll needs to be is in some professional counseling setting or even in an institution so that he can get help for his mental illness. And what is his mental illness? Most likely narcissistic personality disorder or something in that spectrum of mental illness. So please pray for Mark Driscoll. He needs your prayers. Let us pray that he gets the help that he needs, that he is completely removed from any public teaching within Christ's church. Let us pray that he gets the help that he needs, that he reconciles with those whom he has sinned against, and that he is able to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But what we are seeing here, this is sick, and I mean this literally. It's sick because there's only one type of person that would do that, and that is the type of person that is self-deceived and is mentally got something wrong with them. So pray for Driscoll. That's what we need to do. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, heading back to Church of the Highlands. Man, is this a mess of a sermon. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, cat! 
Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. <laughs> and exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. This is a mess. Just as much of a mess as last week's sermon from Church of the Highlands that we reviewed. Literally taking a gospel text and turning it into law. Let's do this right, though. Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church of the Highlands. Chris Irwin, campus pastor, a presiding... They're preaching their way through the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. This is the one where Jesus says, I'm thirsty. What do you think that means? Well, according to Chris Irwin, Jesus was trying to teach us how to get through a really bad day. And it means we need to be human enough to acknowledge our needs. Wish I was making it up. I'm not. It's an absolutely reprehensible mistreatment of the passion narrative of Christ. Let's get right to it. Without any further ado, here's Chris Irwin. Uh, what an honor it really is for me to be here with you to bring uh, today's installment of our series. And I want to thank Pastor Chris for letting me just be here and just hang out with you today. And a matter of fact, he'll actually, uh, he's in Seattle today. He's preaching at a great church there on the West Coast. And uh, he will be back next Sunday to bring us part six of our series. So I want to get us right into the message today. You know that we have, over the last few weeks, been traveling through the story of Jesus uh, and his time on the cross. Uh, we actually call that Good Friday, but for him, it was not good. It was really the worst day of his life. Uh, but for us, it was good because it meant that he was paying the price for us. He was purchasing us. And so we celebrate that. But for him, it was, it was a horrible day. And on that cross, he's actually teaching us, even in his pain, even in his suffering, how we can make it through our own bad days. What an a completely absurd 
twisting of God's word. Where does it say in Scripture that Jesus was teaching us how to, how to get through our own bad days? I mean, oh my goodness. Like I said, this is taking an, a gospel text because the good news that Christ died for our sins, suffered God's wrath in our place, pure gospel. And Chris Irwin and Chris Hodges and guys, all the guys who participated in this sermon series from Church of the Highlands have utterly turned this into law. Now, if you're not having a bad day, God bless you. It means that uh, you're either headed to one or coming out of one. I don't, aren't you glad you came to church, right? I mean, don't want to mess you up, but it's just truth, right? It's life. Uh, we get, um, these things come and go, you know, bad days come, bad days go. And we've just been looking at the story of Jesus to help us navigate through our own. So I want to read to you the verse we've been using over the last few weeks just to set the series up. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race. Aren't you glad he didn't just start it, but he finished it. Because he finished it, he's, he's, we can finish it. Amen. So it says he, he started and he finished this race. So study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Look at this. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So in other words, we can learn from him. We can watch what he did and, and listen to the words that he spoke on the cross that will help us through our bad day. Now, I want to give you the fifth statement today. We're going to dive in it together. So it's found in the book of John, uh, chapter 19, verse number 28. Look at it with me. It's there in your notes. And it says this, that uh, later, knowing that all was now completed. So he's kind of at the end of his life, in, in probably the final moments of his suffering. And he's there on the cross, and, and now that it's all been completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, and I would even say so that we would have hope, he says these three words, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. And so it's in those statements, in that one statement, that we see that even if the, if the Son of God had a moment that he was vulnerable, that he had a moment where he realized he needed help, it just tells us that there's no one that is so spiritual. There's none of us that are so self-sufficient that we are strong enough to make it through a bad day without asking for help. I, I literally want to beat my head against a brick wall. Unbelievable. So this is literally him tacitly saying, listen, teaching what Jesus actually accomplished for us on the cross not important, not as a main point, not as the subject of a, of a sermon. So we're going to invent stuff that isn't even there. We're going to basically invent this idea that Jesus said these things because he was, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, trying to give us tips and strategies so that when we find ourselves in a bad day, we can know how to navigate them like, you know, Jesus did. Unbelievable. I have, I have rarely seen People go to such great lengths in order to not preach the gospel. And that's the only way I can describe what I'm hearing here. 
And I think it's a powerful statement. And for that reason, we're going to study today this statement. Write it down, if you will. Here's our lesson. Be human enough to acknowledge your need. Yeah, be human enough to acknowledge your need. How about be broken by God's law enough to acknowledge my need for a crucified and risen Savior? How's that? Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. So you're going to have a bad day just like he did. And and if we learn from him, we will be able to make it. But if you're like me, here's, here's just the truth. It's just not human nature to admit when we're weak, is it? It's just, it's not how we're wired. Uh, It's actually kind of difficult. And I think we can find the reason for that way back in the book of Genesis, uh, back in the creation story, actually. And it was there where God would come down and hang out with Adam and Eve. Like he would come and walk with them in this beautiful garden, the garden of Eden, and uh, and have that close relationship uh, with, with his creation. But we know that there was a big mistake, you know, they made the the big sin mistake and God would come down after the mistake. They they made a big mistake. It was an oopsie. It was a slipsy. It was a (laughs) whoa. How about a rebellious, sinful breaking of God's command and breaking of God's covenant with them? How about that mistake as he would before and want to hang out with Adam and Eve? And the way Adam responds to God calling him, I believe, gives us the picture of why it's still difficult for us today to maybe even admit that we need help. So I want to read this to you. It's not in your notes. It'll be on the screen. Genesis 3.10. This is when God shows up. They've made the mistake. And Adam responds. Made the mistake. Wow. What a complete watering down of what happened in the garden. No wonder you think Jesus is here going, hey guys, pay attention. I'm going to show you how to get through a bad day by telling you some things while I'm going through my bad day. Because you completely watered down the biblical category of sin. And he says, hey, God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and then I hid. So right there, we see the progression of what happens. A mistake takes place. Anybody make a mistake before? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, First John chapter 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Based on how this fellow, Chris Irwin's talking, we need if we say we have no mistakes, well, we deceive ourselves and and we need to recognize that we've made mis- mistakes. But if we confess our mistakes, God, who is faithful and just, will have a relationship with us and give us tips on how to overcome our hardest days. I mean, what is this theology? Anybody this morning, you make a mistake this morning? Yeah, that's, that's probably a lot of us, you know. And so a mistake happens and then we're exposed. We feel exposed. We feel like we can't get close to God. So we are afraid. And then after fear, we hide. And so it's just the natural just progression of, of what happens when we make these mistakes or even when we have those difficult days in life that we're exposed, we run from God because we're afraid, and then we kind of put that mask on, don't we? We hide. So I'd like to sum up the reason why we may do this, and, and that is in the word fear. 
Like, because we're, we're kind of afraid a little bit. And we've all struggled with this. If you're human, you've struggled with fear. You know, it's, it's something that we all kind of deal with. And it doesn't go away. Like, I'm afraid of things today that I was afraid of when I was a child. Like critters. Like bugs with more than eight legs. You know, just, I don't like them. Just, I ain't got time for it, you know. And so, some of these fears, they just don't go away. But we can't get trapped in fear. Because here's what happens when we do, we, we kind of become this pretend version of ourselves and it shows up in our just natural banter with each other. You know, we say things like, Hey man, how you doing? Oh, bless God. I'm doing good. How about you? You know, the great Southern response. I started thinking through just some of the other things that we say. Maybe you've said these things, maybe not, but I know I've heard them. Uh, I like this one. Hey man, how you doing? Well, uh, if I was any better, I'd be twins. All right. I don't. I don't get it, but okay, you're doing real good. Uh, or I, I like this one. Hey, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, man, can't complain because nobody would listen. You ever said that before? <laughs> you know, it's kind of some truth there, right? Yeah, nobody would listen. Uh, I, I really, uh, I like this one. This is kind of gross, but I've heard it. And I don't know why people say it, but hey, man, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing good. Just hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. You heard that one, right? Just... It's kind of gross. I, I don't want to shake hands no more. I want to fist bump and find some Purell and clean up. Yeah. Crazy things that we say. Uh, I, I heard this one a few years ago, actually. It's actually my favorite. Uh, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm just chilling like a villain on penicillin. Okay, okay. So you're rhyming. You're doing so good that you are rhyming now. You are like singing and... I didn't know thieves were on antibiotics. It's, it's great. I, glad to know you're doing good. Yeah. So, so we, we carry on in this kind of this pretend banter, don't we? Like everything's good. Don't worry about it. And, and I think it all comes back to maybe being a little afraid of being uh, transparent. Just being transparent like Jesus did. And again, he's given us a great example on the cross. On those bad days, one of the best decisions you can make is do what Jesus did. And that's reach out and say, hey, I kind of need some help. I want to give you three fears why we may not do that, all right? So these are in your notes. Just jot them down. I think the first one is really the fear of being hurt. Yeah, nobody likes that, you know, because if we were honest, we're all kind of damaged a little bit. What? 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 Ephesians chapter 2 says we were born dead in trespasses and sins. And were by nature objects of God's wrath. And you're saying we're broken just a little bit? I mean, we were so broken that the only solution to unbreak us was that God would become human and die on a cross for our sins. And you're saying we're broken just a little bit? What are we, like a, a clock with a bent minute hand? We just need to kind of bend it back and we're good as new? Oh, my word. Like, we've been hurt in the past. If you've ever loved someone, if you're in a relationship, uh, if you're married, you know, if you have children, if you work a job, if you're a boss or an employee, you have been hurt. Uh, if you're in a family, anybody have a family member like that's their spiritual gift to hurt your feelings? Anybody? 
Yes, you do. I do. I, I remember uh, years ago, I had, a, I had a great, great aunt. It was my great-grandmother's sister, great aunt Mildred. And uh, she, she passed away. She went home to be with Jesus years ago. And we were kind of glad she did. I mean, listen, she lived a full life and she was miserable. She was kind of a mean Christian, you know, just... And listen, she's doing so much better now. She is in heaven. She, and I'm going to see her again one day. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a celebration, a homegoing, a celebration for her. And uh, yeah. And she was the aunt that if you ever got around her, she was like brutally honest. Like she would try to hurt your feelings. I remember Rachel and I, before we were married, um, I would take her with me to go visit Aunt Mildred. Because quite honest, I didn't want to go by myself, you know. And, <laughs> And she, she was not too fond of it, but we would go and uh, she, I think she got our new haircut right before we went, new, kind of new hairdo. And so we got there and I said, hey, Aunt Mildred, uh, do you like Rachel's new haircut? And she'd say almost the same three things every time. Uh, no, uh, it's all right. Not really. Did she say that every time? No. Oh, it's all right. Not really. And she just could not give you a compliment. I mean, it was just, it wasn't going to happen. And so, so bless Rachel's little old heart. It just hurt her feelings every time. And, and so, and a lot of you kind of know what that feels like. You know, if you've, if you've ever been hurt, you know that it's kind of easy to maybe get trapped there and not let that, that fear out. And, and can I tell you, it's just, it's just part of the enemy's plan to keep you running from God and running from all that he has for you. Because here's what we do. We keep running from all that he has for me. Like, God is the big cosmic purpose Easter bunny in the sky. What is this? Keep pretending, and we keep wearing the mask, and we say things like this. Hey, I'm good. Don't come close, because you may hurt me. You know, we feel like that everyone will hurt us, and you can't stay there. You just can't stay there. I love Psalms 32, verse 3. Look at it with me. It says, when I kept all of it inside, look what happens. My bones turned to powder, and my words became day-long groans, and the pressure never let up. Look what he says. All the juices of my life dried up, and then I let it all out, and I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. Look what happens. And suddenly, the pressure was gone. Yeah, you just got to get rid of it. Don't get trapped. What are you quoting from? <laughs> was that the... What was that? That was not a biblical text. With that fear and with that hurt, okay? The second fear is this one. It's the fear of being rejected. And this is a tough one. What does Jesus saying, I'm thirsty, have to do with the fear of being rejected? Because no one likes rejection. Quite honest, it stings a little bit. You know, you remember doing, filling out your first application for maybe a car or a loan or, or, or maybe that credit card, you know, and it comes back denied. I don't know why that hurts so much, but we just take it personal when we, we it probably God's will, none of that happened, you know, and we just take it personal because it hurts and, and it, it's, it just chips away at our heart of ever being able to trust uh, people again and stop believing in people. So here's what we do. We fight rejection by doing whatever it takes to be accepted. Like that's what we do. It's kind of like the natural mechanism within us to when we feel rejected, we're going to do whatever it takes to find accept, acceptance. And let- what does this have to do with Jesus saying, I'm thirsty right before he dies? I, wow. This is 
Wow. Let's just be honest. I think, um, I think social media provides a great platform for this. And I'll prove it to you. Because when's the last time we posted our best argument with our spouse? We don't do that. You know, it's not like I say, hey, Rachel, this is getting good. Let's go get the boys and get them to hold the camera because we about to go off. And, and, and this is going to get me some followers and this is going to get some like. No, we don't do that, do we? we? We're not posting our failures or our mistakes. Why is that? It's because we all, we all want to be liked. You know, we, we all want to be befriended and accepted. I read an article. Uh, not too long ago about social media. And it was astonishing to hear these stats. It said 89% of those on social media, uh, they equate, they admit that their social media likes give them happiness or determine their happiness. Isn't that crazy? And No, what's crazy is that you think that this has something at all to do with Jesus' suffering on the cross. And 40% of those that said that said that happiness will only stay if people continue to like and follow. It's kind of sad when you think about it, but we may be all kind of guilty. Because in that same article it said that 70% of us will only like a post or a picture because we know it will make them feel good. So in other words... We don't like your pictures, you know, we, we don't like your posts. We, we're just liking it because we know it makes you feel good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad. I read, they quoted, they quoted a 25-year-old in this article saying this, I don't think it's coincidence that my mental health has become more stable in the time that I've gotten a regular circle of followers who like a lot of my tweets. Kind of funny, kind of sad at the same time. And it's because we crave acceptance. And we really just are afraid of being rejected. The Bible talks about that there was a group of people that lived this way back in that day and age. And in John, it it says this, for there was a group of people that loved human praise. Like they craved the likes. Like they wanted a lot of likes and they craved that. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. And church, can I just tell you today, it's a trap. Like that's a trap of the enemy and of our own mind to get us there, to always crave the, 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 the acceptance of people. And I think the psalmist David kind of figured it out when he wrote Psalms 139. He actually saw himself the way God sees him. And he said it this way, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Like David is saying, man, he did good when he made me. Like I am something. And he says, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I am all of that and a bag of chips. <laughs> so the reason why Jesus said, I thirst is so that we can realize that I'm all of that in a bag of chips. What are you doing here? You know, I, he, he didn't, he really didn't care what people thought because he knew what God thought about him. And it's the fix to the fear. The third fear is this. It's, I think it's the fear of being exposed. Yeah, because we're all kind of weak. You know, we, we all kind of have those parts of our life that we don't want anyone to know about. And we have this conversation in our head that says, if they knew, what would they think? 
You know, if they really knew what's going on in my life, what would they think? And then the enemy gets involved. He comes alongside of you and joins the conversation and says this. They'll leave you if they know. And that's a lie of the enemy. It's just not true. Because here's what happens. When we hear that and we believe that, we start working harder at pretending than we do getting better. And we spend this energy and, and our time and all of our resources just hiding and putting on the mask. And, and, and really, I think it's, it's kind of killing us a little bit. And if we were honest, some of you may be here today and you're, 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 you're maybe hanging on by a thread. Because it's a lot of work to keep up with that. Hey, let me just kind of set you free today from that. Can I tell you that we are all messed up? Yeah, church is not a museum. It's a hospital. Yeah, yeah. Hey, turn to your, your, the person on your left. Come on, look at them. Don't, they look good today, don't they? they? Man, they look sharp. Yeah, at the campuses. Come on, look at the person at your left. Don't, they clean up well, right? Hey, guess what? They are messed up. Yeah, they are. Hey, now look at the person on your right. Come on, look at them. Look at them. Hey, man, they look good, don't they? They clean up well, man. Sunday best, right? Yeah, they look good. Well, guess what? They are messed up too. We all got it going on. So be free in that. The enemy would want you to believe that, that you're the only one messed up. So keep wearing the mask. And it's just not the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.2. I love this. It says, we refuse to wear masks and play these silly games. Like we're just not going to go there. Instead, rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open the whole Unbelievable. Every verse out of context, totally ignoring the sin problem, I mean, it, this has nothing at all to do with what Jesus said when he said, I thirst. Truth on display so that those who want to can come and see. See what? See that I'm messed up and I need Jesus. And I love John. First John 1 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have real relationship, fellowship, one with another. So the question is today, what do we do? I mean, how do we get there? And I just want to encourage you, let's do what Jesus did. Let's be transparent. I think it's okay to show that you're weak every day. It's okay to ask for help. You know, asking for help. Yeah, Jesus was so transparent when he was on the cross. You know, he was crucified naked. I don't think it gets more transparent than that. He was literally suffering, bleeding, and dying for our place. As our substitute, drinking to the dregs the wrath of God. And you've turned this into some kind of weird Aesop's fables where Jesus is going, hey, look at me, guys. Look how transparent I'm being. Doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you're human. And I think if we, if we get better at that, then life will be better. In church, listen, church is the best place for it. I can remember back in 2006, that's when Rachel and I, we, we first found this church and it changed our life. And we, we were living in Montgomery. And so we drove up every Sunday to be in church and she was pregnant that year. So there were some weeks that were really tough. She had a tough pregnancy, our first son. And, and uh, we would always pray on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, God, let us have a great weekend. We heal her God. And we'd plead the blood of Jesus over her life, you know, and so that she'd feel good so that we could be in church on Sunday. And so uh, we drove up this Sunday, that particular Sunday and about 30 minutes out, uh, she just got really, really sick and it was bad. 
And, uh, and so we had decided to just keep coming in. We were close enough. I was going to run into church. This is when we were at Mountain Brook High School. I was going to run into the church, find our friends. We were meeting there and just say, hey, listen, uh, Rachel's sick. We're going to get back to Montgomery and we'll, we'll catch you next week. And so we pulled in the parking lot. We were in the very back of that parking lot. And uh, I came in. The first person I ran into as I walked in was Pastor Marcus right here on the front row. And uh, service had already started. And, and Pastor Marcus did what he'd always done when he saw us. Hey, Chris, where's Rachel? Man, is everything okay? You doing good? And for a split second, I was like tempted to say, oh, man, we're great, man. If we were any better, we'd be twins, you know? I mean, bless God. We, Brother Marcus, we're hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit, you know? We, we're chilling like a villain on penicillin, Pastor Marcus. We're, we're all right, you know? But I didn't. I, I, for some reason, I didn't on this day. And, and I looked at him. I said, you know, we're actually not good. Uh, Rachel's sick. She's really sick. And I just came in to tell our friends that. We're going to head back and... And he did something I'll never forget. He said, well, let me go pray for her. And I thought, no, 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 you can't do that. Service has started. You need to get in. And he said, no, let me go pray. And uh, we walked outside and out to the very back of that parking lot. And um, as we got closer, I kind of made eye contact with Rachel. She's in the car. And I got that look of, what in the world are you doing? That was the look. We, we were dialed in, you know, and. So Pastor Marcus just comes and he comes around the passenger side of that car and he opens up the door and he said, hey, Rachel, I want to pray for you. And just knelt down there right there at the, the door and prayed for her. And that meant everything to us. And I'll tell you what it did. It changed our life. We we got in the car and came back home and the whole way home. We we just couldn't believe we we, we realized that in that moment that this is the place that we could take our mask off and we could be real. And we could say things like we're not doing good. And I want you to get that. I want you to find. So is so Jesus said, I thirst so that you can experience group therapy at a seeker driven church. Really? And discover that. So let me try to help you today. I want to give you just real quick four decisions you can make today before you leave this room that will help you become more transparent. I want to show you how the church can help you do this, too. So the first one is this. Write it down. It's establish a crew. Yeah, you got to get a crew around you. Like you're going to have those moments where, where you're going to need people in your life. Like you weren't built to do life alone. God never intended that. And you see this most in tragedy. Like when tragedy happens and you have that worst day, if it's way overwhelming and you're ready to throw in the towel, can I tell you, you don't have enough people in your life. Uh, you don't have a good enough crew if it's overwhelming you that much. Because there are going to be days when we need a shoulder to cry on. We're going to need an ear to listen. You know, there are going to be those days when I just need somebody's heart, you know, just to, to, to reach out to mine and help me. You need that support. I can remember uh, at this age of my life, this stage of my life, look back and there's probably four or five seasons when, when I passed through them. They were my tough day seasons. Like I almost lost it. Just it, They had the potential of taking me out. And after about the second or third one, Rachel and I, we established this new rule in our home. When it's a bad day, when it's a bad season or, or something, you know, tragic is happening. We have a rule now that we call our crew. Like I remember the most recent one. I said, get our crew to the house. We're going to cook out. We're going to play games. We're just going to have that fellowship because it's in that environment that I'm, I find my stability that I find just that, that sense of, of calling and purpose again. When I've, when I've got those people around me, 
that are there to support me. And that's why the Bible calls the church a building. Yeah, this thing is a building. And I think it's what the church does best. It gives stability. I thought, never mind. (laughs) So, so apparently Jesus saying, I'm thirsty, has to do with that all in important doctrine that God refer you know calls the church the body of believers a building mm-hmm. oh man this is unbelievable Ephesians 2:20 says together everybody say together together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself and we're carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord that word joined together that Greek it kind of paints a picture of two door hinges coming together like we fit like this is where we belong and that pin comes down in the middle and I've got that stability And I think the best way we do this here is in our small groups. A lot of you are in small groups. Some of you aren't. I want to encourage you if you're not. So the reason why Jesus said, I thirst, is so that you'll join a small group. Got it. Find one. There's still groups to plug into, a lunch group, a dinner group, game night. Find something and establish a crew because you're going to need it. You're going to need it on those days. Second decision you can make is to enact a growth plan. Yeah, like you can start growing today. It's actually God's will. It's God's will for you to grow and mature every single day. I would agree. God does will for people to grow and mature in the Christian faith. That would require them then to recognize they can't do that at Church of the Highlands and they need to leave. And check this out. God strategically puts you in places and puts people around you to help you grow. Because not only can you, do, can you not do life alone, you can't grow alone. And you got people around you, you don't even know it, but they're helping you grow. Some of you got good folks, you're learning what to do, you know. You're learning how to do things the right way. And then some of you got crazy people around you. How many of you got crazy people around you? I mean, they're just crazy. How many of you are sitting next to your... No, I'm just kidding. Don't confess that. Yeah, but listen, you're going to learn from all different types of people. And don't get so upset with crazy because God could be showing you what crazy looks like to save you from crazy. Hopefully you're learning what crazy twisting of God's word looks like. The crazy idea of watering down sin and turning it into mistakes, what that looks like. Uh, what it looks like to, in, in a crazed, insane manner, take a text that is all gospel, good news of what Christ has done for it, and literally evacuate it of all of its gospel goodness and replace it with nonsensical group therapy and pseudo-law and commandments and principles. Yeah. Let me tell you, the best way to grow your life, the best way to grow your life is to get around people who have what you want. Best way to grow. So if your marriage is struggling, you know what you need to do? You need to do it today. Call up a couple who has a strong, thriving marriage. They've been married over 20 years, you know, and they've, they've done it right. They were on the brink of divorce and they fought through it and they made it. Now they're married. Their marriage is thriving. Go get around them and ask them questions. Learn and grow. Get around those people. You know, if your children are just just all out of whack, you know, your children are crazy, 
You know, and they're giving you a handle. They're just giving you a time and go find a family who's doing it well. Like you can look at their children and you, you respect how they've done it. Go to the restaurant with them. Go follow them to a restaurant and watch their kids while they eat. And if you like what you see, you better go find some time with that family. You can learn how to be a good parent. Same with finances. You know, if you're, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs and go get around somebody who's paid off their vehicles and paying off their house and go to coffee with them. Let them buy the coffee because you're not doing so good. Let them buy it. and Yeah. And learn. Ask those questions. And I love that the Bible calls the church a body. Yeah, we're a body. It's an organism that you're supposed to be a part of. Ephesians 4, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Yeah, and this is what we call a parasite, feeding off of the body of Christ. Just saying. And watch what happens when we come together. Each part does its own work, and it helps the other parts grow. So when you're around the body, when you get around people who have fought through something and they're growing, you're going to grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's how you do it. So start it today. I want to give you the third decision you can make like right now today. And that is enlist an army. Yeah, because there are going to be days when you need uh, support. You see, that's what Jesus was trying to tell us. There he is, suffering, bleeding, dying. And he's thinking inside of himself, I've got to teach these guys how to get through the worst day of their life. And so I got to teach him the all important principle of enlisting an army. And so I know, I know, I thirst. That'll send the message. That that'll show them. You're going to need people just to let you cry and and, and hold you through that. But then there's going to be days when you need protection. And you're going to need somebody to fight for you and not necessarily against you. And this may be maybe a tough spot for some of you because it may be that, that people have let you down. You know, you exposed yourself, you became vulnerable and, and they let you down. They, instead of protecting you, they hurt you even more. Maybe uh, uh, leaders have done that or, or, or even, even other believers or maybe you've had that. But can I tell you, you, you just got to try again. You can't stay there. Try again and get people around you that you can trust and that will fight for you. You do not want to go through some of these days without an army protecting you. Because check this out. You'll never be better alone. No matter what excuse you have, you'll never be better alone. And you'll never be more protected than you are when you are surrounded by people who want to see you win. And those are the people that you need. I'm different. I'm a different person when I know that I got people cheering me on and fighting for me. I personally have three people. I have three men that when I'm having that bad day and I need somebody to fight for me and do warfare for me, they get a text from me. They get, they get notified from me. Hey, I need you today, brother. Fight for me. And you need that. So find three people and go enlist them. Don't, don't nicely ask them. Say, Hey, I'm recruiting you. You're, I need you praying for me. Get that army uh, around you. And that's why the Bible calls the church a flock. Yeah, we're a flock. Luke 12 says, don't be afraid, little flock. Because when you're in the flock, you have strength. It's not the flock that gets attacked. It's that stray sheep 
I'm just whew, hang on a second here. In through nose, out the mouth. In through nose, out through mouth. Serenity now. That wanders off, that gets attacked. So stay in the flock and be strengthened and let fear just kind of leave your heart and mind. It says, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Let me tell you the best way to be a part of the flock around here. And that's jump on the dream team. What? (laughs) Jump on the dream team. What am I listening to? Because you're an enlisted army. When you get around people in a brotherhood, in a sisterhood, where you're doing something great together, you got yourself an army. You watch what happens. You just watch what happens when you miss that first Sunday. They're going to call you. They're going to text you. They're going to reach out and not to make you feel bad, but they're going to say, hey, man, we missed you. Where have you been? We, what can we do for you? How can we pray for you? You've got that army around you. And there's nothing like being a part of that, that brotherhood doing something together. It's powerful. So get you a crew around you that will support you. Somebody that you can just lean on their shoulder and cry if you need it and help you through those bad days. We just had a last week at our campus a family who had a, a death in their family. And it was so beautiful to see multiple churches come together and walk them through it. You've seen it too if you've experienced that. It's just beautiful how that happens. And then, and then starting a growth plan in your own life, you know, identify where you're struggling and then get around people who have what you don't, what you want. And you get that army of people that'll fight for you. And then the last one I want to give you, and I want to just tell you, just give you a heads up on this is probably the toughest. Like this is, this will be the hardest because if you're like me, you make those mistakes. You kind of beat yourself up a little bit. You don't like yourself. Right, yeah. When when I make mistakes, slipsies and oopsies and stuff like that. Not when I sin. I mean, whoa, that's way too, you know, serious and deep and <clears throat> biblical and stuff. Yeah, but I think it's a decision you you have to make in order to become transparent, live out the example that Jesus set on that cross. Right. You, you need to live out the example that Jesus set when he said, "I'm thirsty." I wow. Yeah, living an example is law. Jesus dying for our sins is gospel. Hear that again. Become transparent. Live out the example that Jesus set on that cross. And here it is. Write it down. Embrace being loved. Embrace being loved. And we all need this. Who was loving Jesus while he was dying on the cross and said he was thirsty? Like right now, we, we need this. Some of you need it more desperately than others because like all of us, you've made a mistake. And like all, no, I've sinned big difference. All of us, you've, you've got some regret, you know, and regret is usually caused by sin. Cue sappy music, by the way, this is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit is now Descending on the audience to help them make decisions. Apparently, the decision here is to, like Jesus, admit that you need some help. Like all of us, if you could go back and change something, you would. And now you find yourself in this horrible day, this horrible season, and you don't like yourself. You don't like the decisions you made. 
And then you start having these, these bad conversations in your head. And then the enemy, he shows up again. And he tells you this big lie. He says this, they won't love you if you take that mask off. They won't love you. They'll reject you. They'll shun you. You know, they'll ridicule you. So what happens is we just keep pretending because we're afraid of that. We're afraid of being hurt. You know, we're afraid of being rejected and being exposed. And so it's, it's hard to go there. So we, we just manage those masks a little bit and just keep pretending. Can I tell you today that this, this is actually a place like this church, like so many other churches, our campuses. This is a place for people who have blown it. Like this, this is a place for those of us who regret some of our yesterdays. This is a place where, where, where those of us who we're here because, because we want to change and we want to grow and we want to make a difference. Like this is the place. Just last week I had, um, I had a good friend come in and see me there in Montgomery and, and, uh, he just sat with me and he came to see me because he had made some really, really bad decisions. Uh, the kind of decisions that would ruin a family, you know, tear a family apart and, and my heart broke for him and, and he came in and he's just venting, you know, he's mad at himself. He's, he's mad at God. He's mad at his family. He's just mad at everyone. And, and I really tried my best to encourage him and to pour into him and help him to see things differently. And he just, everything I put out there, he, he rejected. It just nothing would, nothing would hit his heart. He was broken and he was fighting and, and he was ready to throw in the towel, ready to walk away from everything. And to be quite honest, I didn't know what else to say. I really didn't know what else. I, I pulled out all the stuff that I would normally say, you know, encourage and give him scripture and it just didn't work. And I realized that I just need to be quiet and let him vent and just, just, you know, spill everything out. It was indeed uh, his worst day of his life. And as I'm sitting there and he's talking through all of this with me, again, my heart's breaking. My, I'm just tearing up for him. It just hurts. I felt the Lord just tell me, I felt the Lord say, go and hold him. You'd think uh, with a guy like this, who I mean, who God talks to so clearly, that God would be saying, "Stop talking about my son's death on the cross," and his saying it's he's thirsty, as if that's a, a moment to give you an example to follow, so that you can recognize that you need help. <clears throat> It's unbelievable. I mean, why is it that the people who claim to hear voices in their head never seem to hear that voice rebuking them for twisting God's word? And I thought, well, well wait a minute, God. I mean, we're, we're a couple of dudes, you know, and I mean, I mean, I could high five him, you know, I could come on, man. You know, it's going to be good. Boom, boom. You know, we can do that. And but I couldn't get away from it. I really felt like the Lord said, go and hold him. And so I just walk over to him and I put my arms around. I give him a big old bear hug, you know, and, and I just tell him, I say, Hey bro, I love you like unconditionally. Like you could go do all of this 10, 20 more times and I'd still love you. And what's more important, God loves you. And I just hold, I just held him, hugged him. 
yeah, the way we know God loves us, because Scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, not mistake makers, but actual sinners, Christ died for our sins. And he broke. Like, it was a... It was a special moment. He broke and he wept for minutes. I mean, he just wept. He couldn't stop crying. It is exactly what he needed to hear. Because he couldn't, he couldn't really see that, that he could be loved again. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you, you're having one of those bad days and you just can't see how God can love you again. Or, or you, can, you can find a place in your heart to love yourself again. Well, can I tell you that I love that the... Bible calls the church a family. Hey, everybody. Hey, family. We don't get rid of family. Like, we don't kick family to the curb. We're family. And you can be real here. I want to read to you Ephesians 2.19. And some of you, this, this is why you came to church today for this verse. For, for a verse. Why would I get out of bed for a verse? I felt it really just in my heart for a really long time. I want to read it to you and just receive this. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are a member of this family. <laughs> I think he's reading the message still. I, I, I'm ready to just blow up at this point. I'm trying to hold it together. And, and, and it, it does not matter what the enemy has told you. It does not matter what your mistakes have yelled at you. It doesn't matter what your failures try to convince you of. You are a part of God's... My failures don't try to convince me of anything. My failures do not have their own cognitive abilities. Very own family. And check this out. You do belong here. And quit believing the lie of the devil that would say, you don't belong here. Like, you don't belong in this room. You don't belong in this worship service. You Don't Don't you think if you're going to talk about them belonging, you might actually want to do something to comfort them regarding their feelings of guilt, not regarding their mistakes, but regarding their sins and transgressing of God's holy law. Belonged in this church. You don't belong in the body of Christ. You do belong in God's household with every other Christian, with the rest of us who were so messed up, so, so, with so many failures. You belong right here. You are in good company because we all need Jesus. Can I? What do I need him for? I get an amen. Again, what do I need Jesus for? To, to give me an example of how to get through a bad day? We need Jesus. Yeah. So you belong. So I want to give you this and then we're going to pray. Because some of you are struggling right now. Like you're, you're struggling. You feel like you don't belong. And I want to give you these words and then we're going to pray. Come on, write this down. I can be me like you can do it. You can just be you when I'm connected to those who believe in me. Yeah, I can be me. Really? Christianity is about learning how to be me. Where are you getting this? And we believe in you today. <laughs> so, 
So you're telling everybody there that you believe in them. Isn't the whole point of Christianity to be a believer in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins? But what's more important, God believes in you. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I got to take some more time and do some breathing exercises here. Inhale. Exhale. In through nose. Out through my, I am, wow, now, now God is a believer in me. This is backwards, upside down, and inside out. I have no other ways to describe this. Amen? No, not an amen. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray. No, I won't let you pray. I'm not even sure what God you believe in. I'm pretty sure it's not the same one that's revealed in Scripture. Anyway. You get the idea. I'm going to end here lest I completely lose control. I Wow. 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 It has been a while since I've heard a sermon that really actually got me upset and like fuming mad. This one accomplished it. Utterly blasphemous. Taking the good news of Christ bleeding and dying for our sins totally telling these people that it's just about don't feel guilty about your mistakes and and god believes in you yeah that's the reason why jesus said i thirst oh man <sighs> what'd you think <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to yell it <laughs> what did you think love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fighting for the faith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash Meyer christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen